couple of years ago, uh, within a week, we dropped off our oldest daughter, Lexi, in South Carolina for college, and then shortly thereafter, we dropped Drew off at the airport to go off to boot camp, and our house was completely different. The vibe in our home was different. We were always a lot of noise in our home, and then subtract two people from that mix, and it's just different. There were portions of time uh, during Drew's training that we had no access to communicate with him uh, just by the nature of uh, what his uh, training was. It was the first time that we had any extended period of time that we were separated from any of our children, and so it was a unique time. You can imagine how great it was to welcome our adult children home uh, just a couple little pictures to capture, meeting Andrew at the airport at the end of his boot camp. It's like something was missing from your life. There's a reunion and there's joy and rejoicing to be uh, reintegrated. You know, it brings excitement and joy when we welcome someone home. In our passage this morning, this is the type of welcome that we have received from our God because of what our Savior has done for us. It is this type of welcome that we want to offer to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're brothers and sisters of of one another uh, through the work of our Heavenly Father. God has brought us into an eternal relationship with Himself. He's welcomed us. He's embraced us. Throughout the book of Romans... Uh, There are various ways that the believer's relationship is captured or described. In chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ. In chapter 1 and verse 6, he talks about the believers there that they are um, called to belong to Jesus Christ. They belong to Him. And then in the next verse, chapter 1 and verse 7, they are loved by God. We are loved by God. Have you, did you come to know Jesus as your Savior? God says you're loved by Him. God loves you, not generically, but intimately. Paul describes in the book of Romans, and we've talked about this in many ways through our study over these last couple of years in this book, a change of status from one status to another. It it, it comes up regularly, but particularly in the first chapters, the believer's records are changed. That's justification. We're changed from sinner to saint. Not because we have become wonderful, but because God has credited to our account the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is a status change. It's a permanent change of the records. So one day I'll stand before God and I'll give an account of myself. We'll see that later later on in our discussion of Romans chapter 14. We'll stand before God and give an account of ourselves before Him. But my record in heaven has been permanently changed. All my sins have been blotted out. And Jesus' righteousness has been attributed, placed on my account. And so when I stand before Him, I stand before Him as a righteous one. This is a status change through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We've also had our status changed from slaves, slaves to sin, 
to slaves to God. In, in other words, instead of having sin rule over us, ending in emptiness and destruction and pain and death, God rules over us, resulting in joy and peace and grace and life and wellness. God is our master. It's good news. It's good news that God is our master. Sin is a terrible slave master. It demands and demands and gives very little back. God, as our taskmaster, provides everything we need. It's unthinkable. And yet, this is what the Gospel tells us about God changing our records. He has made us slaves to Him. Our relationship with God has changed from being those that were at enmity with God in Romans chapter 5 and verse 10 to being sons of God in Romans chapter 8. And that with that sonship, our Father is one that we cry out to as our Abba Father, our intimate personal Father in heaven. The Spirit cries out from within us. And with that Change to sons of God. We are joint heirs with Christ. Jesus Christ, our Savior, is our brother. And everything that He has earned as His uh, reward has been given to us in our inheritance. This is, this is just the unfathomable wealth of God's grace that is constantly being declared in Scripture. God is good. These changes remove fear of condemnation from us. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And these concepts motivate believers to say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. We, because of the mercies of God, we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. Why would I not entrust myself to someone like Him who has manifested all of these blessings upon me. So as we look at our text this morning, we want to understand the welcome that we've received and the benefits that come with that welcome. Let's take a look again at the text. Romans 14, beginning in verse 1. As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything. While the weak person eats only vegetables. Selah. You know what selah means? Stop and think. I'm so glad that God said that the weak person eats vegetables. I don't want to be weak. I want to eat meat. Maybe you don't. And that's your right. And I'm not to despise you or look down upon you or pass judgment upon you. Nor are you to pass judgment upon me that I want to eat meat. At any rate, verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Will you read the next six words with me? For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. 
and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. For those who have come to the place in their lives where they have seen how good God is in the person of Jesus Christ and have called upon the name of the Lord and have been saved, we know that our sins are forgiven and we know that his righteousness has been credited to us. We know that we have an eternal relationship with God. And so we say we're happy to hear we are the Lord's. We belong to the Lord. We are joyful to hear He has welcomed us. He has embraced us. He has made us His own. We belong to God. That's the first concept that we want to see here this morning. We belong to God. By the time we arrive at Romans 14, we happily understand that we belong to Him. We just read verses 6-9. through We do this for the Lord. We eat in honor of the Lord or we don't eat in honor of the Lord. We observe a day in honor of the Lord or we don't observe a day in honor of the Lord. We we recognize that our lives are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which are His. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're we're happy about this. This This is a delight to us to belong to God in such a way that we realize that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has purchased us for God. There are so many visions, visions of God or conceptions of God that would make us very unhappy to belong to Him. As if He is this taskmaster in the sky who could never quite be satisfied. I can't do enough. I could do, you know... Five days worth of really good deeds and two days of bad deeds and then as a result of that we've got a real problem. But God, on the other hand, portrays himself much differently than that. He's a God who needs nothing but provides. And he's provided all of our spiritual needs in the person of Jesus Christ. To belong to him is the happiest, happiest possession we could be. We could be a possession of God the happiest possession we could be. God is so good to us. We belong to Him. We also understand that we will stand accountable to God one day, but we are secure in the salvation that He has provided through the work of Jesus Christ. When we understand these truths about ourselves, when we understand that God has purchased us, that our record is clear and clean and righteous, we rejoice. We rejoice in this. And when we look at other believers then, we start to understand, hey, that person 
has the same happy condition. I may disagree with something that they think or a way they go about life, the, a way they view the Christian life. But that person belongs to God the way I belong to God. That person is welcomed by God like I have been welcomed by God. And it changes the way that we deal with one another. Take a look at verse 19 of the same chapter. Romans chapter 14 and verse 19. He says, So then let us pursue what makes for peace, that's peace among yourselves, and mutual upbuilding. Not only that which brings peace, but that which builds one another up. Because not only have I been accepted in the Beloved, you've been accepted in the Beloved, and so we can look at one another as those that are at peace with God, and we can look to build one another up in our most holy faith. Take a look at chapter 15 now in verse, verses 1 and 2. He says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to do what? To build him up. Why? For, the, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Down at verse 6. Uh, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The burden of having a place before the Lord has been removed from us, right? Because Jesus has made us accepted in the Beloved. We belong to God. And so our striving toward the Lord is over, and then our striving amongst ourselves is over. He's made us at peace. We belong to God. Secondly, in our passage, we are welcomed by God. We are welcomed by God. Look at verse 3 again. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. This is a rich word. God is talking about welcoming people like me and people like you. We just looked at chapter 15 and verse 7 that talks about the same thing. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. The, the passage, this word welcome is used in Acts 28 in verse 2, just in a common record of, of Paul's journeys. He says, The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. In other words, when they were going through that, that region, they entered into this place, and the people made sure that they had everything they needed. They, they were welcomed there. They were cared for. They were cared for. It's used similarly in the book of Philemon in verse 17. He says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. And, and earlier in that letter, he talks about how they had this uh, refreshing relationship with one another. How they had a, a, really a, a, a bound together spirit. Romans 14 positively identifies God's people as the redeemed of the Lord and purchased people, those are, who are God's servants. But those technical terms, redeemed, purchased, um, those who are servants, those, those are terms that aren't as intimate as this concept of welcome. When the Bible talks about us being welcomed by God, He's telling us that God is essentially embracing us. Listen to these words from John Stott. 
who uses the word, the, the Greek word, proslambano, that's the word welcome, means more than to accept people in the sense of uh, acquiescing in their existence, even in their right to belong, more even than to receive or accept into one's society, into one's home or circle of acquaintances. It means to welcome into one's fellowship, look at this last part, into one's heart. God, when he tells us that he welcomes us, there is a union with him that is unique. Remember when Jesus talked about how I am in the Father and the Father's in me? He also said, and I am in you, and you're in me. There's this deep, intimate union that is unbreakable. And this concept of welcome carries that along. I want first to take a look at a passage of Scripture. I think that it's familiar to us, but I think it will help to, to, to bring this relational concept um, more deeply rooted within us. Take a look at Luke 15, the Gospel of Luke. Now, you'll remember this parable of the Lord Jesus. It's known as the parable of the prodigal son. We'll try to set the stage to refresh your minds about what's going on. I think one of the sons got a little bored. I think he was bored. He was tired of the same routine day after day. And he says to his dad, like any fine young man would, Dad, you know how when you die, I'm going to get half your stuff? Can I just have it now? One could read that as, Dad, you've lived a good old life. Perhaps you could just kick off now. That's the essence of what this, this son does. Give me what is mine now, because I have some other plans than hanging out on the farm anymore. And in the parable, the father does it. Gives him his allotted portion of his inheritance. And the son takes off and goes off into a far country. And as money has a tendency of do, to do, it flew away. He spent it all, the passage tells us, on riotous living. Just this, that, and the other. Gluttony and covetousness. Well, eventually it can, can get to the bottom of all of our wealth, can't it? Uh, maybe you have inexhaustible wealth. If so, you could let me borrow some. I don't have inexhaustible wealth yet. <laughs> Not physical wealth, anyway. Um, we're going to pick it up there. He, he, this, this son spends it all. He, he goes to work for this pig farm. He's, he's feeding the pigs. He's cleaning up after the pigs. And he starts eating the pig slop. And he comes to his senses. Take a look at verse 17 of Luke 15. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise. Here's my plan. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. This is his plan. It's not a bad plan, I don't think. I've seen how dad treated all those other farm hands getting treated way better than I'm treated right now, I'll just go back as a farmhand. It's not a bad plan. That's pretty, you know, humble, groveling, groveling, and uh, he starts heading home. But what's the father's response? Verse 20. 
And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put on a a, a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and they began to celebrate the the young man thought this was going to go in one direction But the father welcomed him. It was a real, intimate welcome. This is not a hired servant. Sure, I can forgive that, what you've done. That's generic or sterile. Okay, fine. That's all all squared away. This is better than that. My son is home. My son, we will celebrate. My son will have the best robe, the best ring, and the best shoes. He's home. We will celebrate our reunion. He's been welcomed home. Look at a little further the interpretation that the servants had of observing this scene. Starting in verse 25, Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. That's the word. He's received him back. He's welcomed him back safe and sound. This is the the work of a father who was waiting for his return. This is the work and the acts of a father who longed for his son's return. And when his son came, that longing was demonstrated in actions. Actions of intimacy and care and celebration. And Jesus says this in light of what God has done for you and for me. For those that have come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, God has welcomed us like this text. Unworthy, defiant, we come back expecting what what will he say? How is he going to react? But God meets our pain and sin and rebellion with his abundant mercy and grace and kindness and intimacy. He welcomes us in. This, you and I should never tire of understanding this. We should never tire of how compassionate God is toward us in our rebellion, in our struggle, in our frustration. We have been welcomed by God. Back in Romans chapter 14, we belong to God We are welcomed by God. And now we want to notice this. We are God's servants. We are God's servants. 
Look at verses 4 through 9 again. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again that he might be... What's that word? Lord both of the dead and of the living. The word Lord is kurios in the Greek. It means master. He's the master of the living and the dead. He's my master. Have you been born again? Has God saved you? He's your master. We are God's servants. We're declared to be God's servants in verse 4. And in this setting of calling us his servants, it says, you know, this guy might have all kinds of things to say about you. And that lady might have all kinds of things to say about you. But who cares? I might have all kinds of things to say about you. And that person would have all kinds of things to say about you. But who cares? There's one master. It's not me. And it's not you. It's him. What does he say? What are his thoughts toward you? I ask people that question a lot. What do you think God thinks about you? How do you think God feels about you? If you're a believer, I can tell you how God feels about you. Because he's done everything needed to embrace you, to love you, to endure with your failings. He's declared you righteous. He's set you apart for himself. He's made you holy. This is who he is. I know how he feels about believers. And it makes me filled with joy. We are God's servants. We are the Lord's. We belong to the Lord's at the end of verse 8. We are the Lord's. He's Lord both of the dead and the living in verse 9. You know, this concept of belonging to the Lord and being his servants, it, it, it's related to the concept in uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 of God sealing us. You're familiar with the expression that God has sealed you with his spirit? The concept of sealing has the idea of basically putting a mark of ownership on something. God says, you're mine. It's, you know, you have those tools. You have your tools and, and maybe you put your initials on them. Maybe magic marker. Some people use a, um, some kind of an engraving tool. They get their initials on their tools because they, they, they want everyone to know, these are my tools. I don't want someone to, you know, come to a work day, take all my rakes and all my shovels and all my sledgehammers, so I'll put my, my initials on these. These belong to me. Well, God has said, you belong to me. Nobody else has lordship over you. I've got you. You're mine. The seal of ownership. This it's, is a, a very positive thing. Elsewhere, Paul talks about the fact that our, our lives and how we live out our lives, we do this in, in light of the Lord. In, in Colossians 3, this will be on the screen for you. Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24, he says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord 
you will receive the Lord, or excuse me, the, the inheritance of your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. It's like every day, you're a servant of the Lord. Like you, you've been entrusted with your own well-being. You've been entrusted with your own body. You've been entrusted with however many hours in the day. God has given these things to us as a stewardship. And with these entrustments, we serve the Lord every single day. Not just on Sundays. That's easy. It's easy. Give up, you know, an hour on a Sunday. Every day belongs to the Lord. All of my hours, all of my talents, all of my wealth, it all belongs to Him. I'm His. He's given it all to me. And so I have this stewardship. He's, he's our master, and we are His servants. So in addition to belonging to God and being welcomed by God and being God's servants, we, we should also note this from verse 4. We are upheld by God. This, to me, is very encouraging. Verse 4 again. It says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. Will you read the rest of the verse with me? And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. The Lord is able to make him stand. He will be upheld. You stand before this master or that master. You stand before one master. You see that? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. So what master are we talking about? The master who is above all and through all and in you all. That one master. And he says, you will be made to stand. He will uphold you. We are upheld by God. It's before his own master that he stands or falls. Who is causing us to be upheld? Again, we answer these questions. We, we ask questions and we answer them with Scripture, right? Because it's not like what my opinion is or what your opinion is or what popular opinion is. Opinions are just opinions. But what does the Scripture say about who causes us to be upheld? Let's take a look at a few passages. They'll be on the screens to my left and right. In John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, I give them eternal life. They will, what does it say? Never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand, or the Father's hand. So, who's the one who is giving life, sustaining life, keeping life? It's God. You can say Jesus at the beginning of the verse, and then the Father at the end of the verse. It's the Lord who's able to make us stand. He's unlimited power, and He's unthwarted in His purposes. In John chapter 6, a very similar statement is made, verses 39 and 40. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I, what does it say? I will raise him up on the last day. Do you believe that? Who is this dependent on? Him. What's the call? The call is to believe. 
believe. Believe whom? Believe God. About whom? Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Who's doing the saving? He is. Who did the work? Jesus did. So we believe in Jude 24. I think you could hardly find a more encouraging verse for a believer. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to cause you to stand or to present you blameless before his presence or before the presence of his glory with great joy. God is the one who causes us to stand. So we're talking in this passage. You know, there's a lot to it. And I told you we're going to hit this from a couple of angles over the next few weeks. He's talking about, you know, the weak in the faith and the strong in the faith, those who eat vegetables, those who, who eat meat, those who abstain from meat, those who observe this day, don't observe this day, that all these little things that we can quibble about, they're non-gospel issues in the context. They can all be gospel issues in a different context. If you think that eating a certain way will make you fit for heaven, then it becomes a gospel issue. Right? If you think that meeting on a certain day makes you fit for heaven, then you have a gospel issue. But there are issues in the living out of the Christian life that are not gospel issues, and one person can eat this kind of food and not eat that kind of food and observe this kind of a day and not observe that kind of a day, and they can be non-gospel issues. And remember, who's Lord over these things? It's God is the Lord of these things. And he says, you, you stand before one master, and the one that has saved you is the one that will sustain you. The assurance that comes from God being our owner our Master, the One who has welcomed us, who has assured us of an eternal acceptance, should change the way that we navigate through life. It should change the way we view fellow believers because they share the same status that we share. Those that have been declared righteous by God. doesn't matter whether you are black or white, whether you're intellectual or common, whether you're wealthy or just scraping by. And it shouldn't matter about the, some differences of opinion over issues that are not related to the gospel. God has purchased us. God is our welcoming Father. God is our Lord. God is our sustainer. So, at the beginning of the service when you walked in, you saw the title of the message, and I haven't said the title of the message at all, but you're going to see the title of the message again. It is, Who Am I in God's Eyes? Who Am I in God's Eyes? Now, I'm speaking of those that have called upon the name of the Lord now. You said, okay, I, I'm a sinner. Jesus died for my sin. Jesus was raised for my sin. I've called upon the name of the Lord and have been saved. Who am I in God's eyes? I am an eternally welcomed child. I am an eternally welcomed child. Friends, this sets us free from bondage. And it causes us to desire. To spend our days saying, Hey, do you know this God? 
Do you know what Jesus has done? Do you know the kind of welcome he offers you? I've been welcomed. And so also can you. Turn your eyes to him and call upon him and he will save you forever. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. Thank you for your word, but thank you for you, for who you are, for welcoming someone like me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for living for me, for dying for me, and for being raised for me. Thank you, Spirit of God, who has given me life, you've regenerated me, you've taught me, and you're with me forever. Thank you. I pray, Father, for each one here that they would have this comfort, this assurance, this confidence in you and be blessed and be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.